This is Mormon Awakenings. My name's Jack Danique. I hope you find something interesting here today. Welcome back. If you've gotten this far, you've listened to episode one and episode two, I think, presumably, where we've talked about some situations in which people face disappointment, disillusionment. In episode one, we talked about Kisa Gatame and her son dying and her learning to be empathetic with the rest of the village, all the other villagers who experienced the pain of death of a loved one. And we talked a little bit about the Mormon experience of being disappointed, feeling disillusioned. And I made the, the point in episode one that, you know, why do we feel as Mormons that we should be spared the feelings of disappointment, disillusionment? When we learn that something we've been taught when we were growing up turns out to not be exactly as it was portrayed to us to be. Now, that's a, that's a pretty universal human experience. We talked a little bit about how to deal with that. In episode two, we talked about the disillusionment that comes from doing what we think is everything right and then having nothing turn out the way we thought it was going to turn out. We did A. We expected B to follow. Instead, C, D, E, F, sometimes K, sometimes Y, Z. The causal connection that we had been taught growing up, if you do A... B will follow. That causal connection was broken. We illustrated this by talking about Job. We talked about the power of experience. That God's really giving us experience. And there's a big difference between experience and abstract knowledge. And we're here to get experience. Learn what things really mean. And to understand things deep within our soul. Well, today I want to talk a little bit about what comes out of a man, and presumably a woman. But the reason I say what comes out of a man is that the passage in the New Testament that we're going to be referring to uses that explicit phrase, what comes out of a man, dot, dot, dot. And we're going to fill in that dot, dot, dot. And I don't want people to get too hung up on the fact that we're going to be using a passage from the New Testament. I mean, no matter where you are in your beliefs, no matter where you are in your your, your spiritual development, I mean, I, I don't I don't really care. Because I think this is, we're, we're going to be talking about a, a universal truth that all mankind that, that has ever lived, will ever live, need, needs to learn. It just so happens that in my view, this passage in the New Testament illustrates this principle. And it's a familiar passage to many people in this audience, Mormon and, and non-Mormon alike. So, that, so that's why we're talking about this passage. So no matter where you are, in your belief spectrum, it, it just doesn't matter. It's just, it's still going to illustrate a deeper principle that I really want to talk about. This principle of what comes out of a man and a woman. So let me first set the scene. The scene is in Matthew 15. And Jesus is eating with publicans, with, with the lowlifes. You know, he spent a lot of time with the lowlifes of Jerusalem. Publicans, Galileans, Samaritans, harlots. You remember that the publicans were the tax collectors. Not just tax collectors, but they worked for the Romans who were the occupiers. Everyone hated the Romans. So the publicans worked for the Romans. The publicans were typically Jews. Working for the Romans, collecting taxes from other Jews, and keeping a cut of it for themselves. So 
they were striking out on a number of levels with their fellow Jews there in Jerusalem. Jesus is with these people, some of whom are publicans, and all these people are eating bread with unwashed hands. And we're not sure if that means their hands were just dirty, caked with dirt, or if they just hadn't performed the proper law of Moses ritual to cleanse their hands. There are all these rituals about cleansing and purifying. You know, think about today, keeping kosher. It's a very complicated process. Well, it was complicated back then too. So the Pharisees come in and the scribes. The Pharisees were the, you know, the elders of, of quote unquote the church. It really wasn't a, ch- a church the way we think about a church, but they were the, they were the, the, the ecclesiastical and the secular leaders, the Pharisees, but they were kind of the, the law keepers, the prefects of Jerusalem, if you will. So they show up and they say, you know, Jesus, uh, these guys are eating food with unwashed hands. You know, why do these followers of yours not keep the traditions that have been handed down? Why are they not keeping the law? Why are they not keeping our rules? Why are they so different from us? And we all know people like these Pharisees, right? You go to church on Sunday and someone comes up to you and say, you know, Brother Jones... You're wearing a powder blue shirt, and here at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we wear white shirts. Did you know? You know, th- these sort of people have a lot of motives, a lot of different motives. One to make you look stupid, that makes them feel better. One is to lord over you the fact that they know the law better than you. The third is to, you know, set up a hierarchical, hierarchical order with them on the top. There are all sorts of ego-driven reasons why someone does that. You know, it's not, to be fair, it's not just the Pharisees in ancient times, and it's not just the self-righteous nitpickers in modern times. I mean, you can be very negative in nitpicking even if you're on the other side of the fence and disaffected from the church and disappointed with the church. You can become very critical and, and, and nitpick. You know, there are a lot of people who have legitimate beasts with the church, but we all know the people who who come out and they, they nitpick little facts and pull it out of context and you know and they're not really being fair to the church and they sort of discredit themselves in the process and again they're driven by all sorts of different motives too ego driven motives they want to prove they're right prove they're smarter prove they're in fact not on the road to hell (laughs) like some church members say they are that's not my view by the way so this this kind of critical nitpicking attitude is not purely the domain of the Pharisees or the modern-day self-righteous. Now, Jesus has a great response to these Pharisees, these nitpickers. He just flips it around and throws it back right back at them. He says, oh, you know, you're not really keeping the traditions either. You know, you're supposed to honor your father, your father and your mother. And in the time of Jerusalem, ancient Jerusalem, honoring your father and mother included taking care of their material needs as they grew old, providing for them. Well, over the years preceding this scene, the the Pharisees, or the, you know, we're not quite sure who did it, but, but a practice cropped up in Jerusalem where the Pharisees and the scribes would teach people, look, whatever excess you have, Give it to us, the ecclesiastical class. Give it to the temple. 
put it into the into the you know temple treasury and that will count as honoring your father and your mother even though you're not technically providing for their material needs you're you're giving this money to us but that but that's but that's okay you know we're we're the priestly class and and this will this will placate God and somehow it's all going to work out in the end this this is a logic that we have seen <laughs> anciently and we see it now no no just just give me your stuff and and everything will be fine and 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 you know it's, it's all going to work out magically in the end so Jesus points this out explicitly he says you know you're supposed to honor your father and your mother but you're teaching people to to do this which is to give the excess money to you and, and allowing them to feel good about themselves and in the process you're stealing from these people and you're barring them from keeping the commandment of of honoring their father and their mother well this probably surprised the pharisees it probably surprised them that Jesus even knew about the practice i mean he was he was hanging out with these publicans and harlots and these these samaritans and galileans they were not exactly the the brahmins of jewish society not exactly the most educated segment of society, you know. You know, it's like Brother Jones in his powder blue shirt after being rebuked for not wearing a white shirt. It would be as if he turned to the to the nitpicker, the self-righteous, and said, you know, there's a conference talk in 2012 where President Monson said it really doesn't matter what color shirt you wear. It's just a tradition and it's not a doctrine. You know, that would surprise that person that the person in the powder blue shirt even knew it even knew about the, the talk, even had any knowledge. So that surprised the Pharisees a little bit. So they're a little bit on their heels. You know, when you go into a situation and you're kind of high and mighty and, and, and you're this self-righteous person and you're ego-driven and trying to establish some sort of hierarchy with you at the top and then the, the person you're trying to manipulate sort of kicks the legs out from underneath the table and the entire house of card comes collapsing down. There's a moment where you're sort of shocked and you're on your heels and the Pharisees are a little bit on their heels at this point. So that's when Jesus decides to up the ante a little bit. You know, he goes right at the heart of the matter and he says, you know, it really doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter what you put in your body. And we can't go crazy with this. I mean, it does matter what you eat. You can't just eat rat poison. Can't just eat glass. I mean, he's not saying that. But he's saying, you know, it's really unimportant. These strictures that we've put on washing and diet and all this sort of stuff, that, that's really not important. We're, we're starting to, we're missing the point a little bit. It doesn't matter what you, what you put into your body because whatever you put into your body gets processed and then it gets sent out into the, the draught or the draft or however you want to pronounce it. You know, his point is food is food. We're going to digest our food, and then even if the food is rancid or, or unclean and we, and we eat it, you know, and it makes us sick, well, you know, it'll make us sick for a little bit, but then eventually it'll be expelled by the body, end up at the bottom of, of the latrine. And he goes on to say, what really defiles people? And here he says, what really defiles a man is what comes out of the man's mouth, what comes out of his mouth comes from his heart, and from the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, 
thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. And then he says, this is what defiles a man. Again, Jesus is sort of turning the tables on the Pharisees. You know, he's indirectly accusing them because he knows that they're having all sorts of bad thoughts and bad motivations. You know, at this time, even some of them may have been thinking about murder itself. This is near the end of Matthew 15, the end, the end of Matthew, rather, in chapter 15. And, you know, it's it's a, not many chapters later where Jesus is hauled into the Sanhedrin, falsely accused and, and effectively murdered. So Jesus is saying, on the one hand, look, your your obsession with what we're eating is a dumb one. And then he also says, on a, on the other hand, what really poisons your soul is what comes out of you. And then he goes on further to say, I sort of know what's coming out of you. It's all these horrible things. And oh, by the way, I know your obsession with food is is really not even an honest one. I know you're just using that to, to try to control and manipulate the situation. You know, you, ha- you have alternative goals here. You don't really care about the food. You know, there's a lot of that and, and whose hands are washed. There's a lot of that going on here too. And Jesus points out, look, I, I get what you're doing here, but I, but I want to talk to you about motive and intention and yours, Pharisees and scribes really stinks right now. And, and what's coming out of you is horrible and it's, it's defiling you. It's poisoning you. You know, so we think back to Brother Jones in his powder blue shirt. He surprises his accuser by even referencing the talk that says it's okay to wear a powder blue shirt, just as an aside. I don't know why we're obsessed about the color of one's shirt in our church. It's it's moronic in my view. And, and, and I think there was a talk, I think it was actually given by Elder Holland, where he talked about white shirts and whether or not that's a doctrinal mandate to wear a white shirt to church. I mean, I can't believe this obsession has risen to the level where there's actually a talk by some general authority addressing the issue. But I digress. Getting back to our example, it, it, you know, Brother Jones has now turned the tables on his accuser. He's referenced the talk by Elder Holland. It's okay to wear powder blue shirts. And then he goes even further and he says, why are you so manipulative? You know, can you imagine this scene? You're in the chapel, some guy in a powder blue shirt, some, some, Smarty Pants comes up, oh, you know, did you know you're supposed to wear white shirts? And then he says, you know, actually, Elder Holland's talk has given him... And by the way, I really don't appreciate your manipulative motives. I mean, can you imagine that sort of scene in a Mormon chapel? This is not the way we deal with conflict in Mormonism. You know, if this scene occurred, I, I, I would bet my last dollar that someone would then go up to Brother Jones in his powder blue shirt and say, you know, contention is of the devil. Did you know that? We are to have absolutely no conflict in our church. You'll notice in the New Testament, however, that Jesus deals with his foes, the Pharisees who are trying to manipulate him. He deals with them quite differently than a typical Mormon would in the exact same situation. I mean, let's imagine that 2,000 years ago, there's some Mormon guy sitting with a bunch of publicans, Somebody comes in and says, and they, you know, and they're all eating bread with unwashed hands. And somebody comes in and says, you know, brother, 
You're supposed to eat the bread with washed hands. Did you know? I mean, the, the typical Mormon would just look up and say, you know, I don't know, I don't know what they'd say exactly. They'd probably just look up and say, well, you, you're fine. You know, I'm not trying to pick out any group. I mean, I'm trying to make the point, though, that that it's it would be hard, and it is hard, in these type of situations to look up and say something like, you know, what's coming out of you is defiling you. Your motives are impure. You're defiling yourself. Now, I recognize in life you can't just go around responding to every slight in this manner. You know, you, you, you drive yourself insane. And there are times to, to just merely forbear. You know, sometimes it's charitable when the person comes up to you and you're wearing the powder blue shirt and they say, oh, you know, you, did you know you're supposed to wear it? Sometimes it's, it's charitable to just say nothing or to smile or to say thank you. Because sometimes people aren't full of bad intention. Sometimes people aren't trying to manipulate you. They're just, they're just clueless or they're just awkward or they're just, you know, they're just, they're just bumbling around. I, I recognize that. And I'm, you know, I, even having said all I have said, I, I recognize that that's the case. And it, it requires wisdom to know the difference. It re- requires a little bit of maturity to be, to be able to discern some motives and to know when you should look up and say, Hey, you're defiling yourself. Just FYI. And when you should just look up and, and smile and say, you're fine. I mean, there's a time to say you're fine, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, in many contexts, that's a very charitable act. I mean, not every awkward or nitpicky type of comment is, a, is malicious and, and rife with malintent <laughs> and, and ulterior motives. I mean, sometimes people say things and they're just, you know, they're just clueless and, and you know, if we react badly in that situa- situation, then we're defiling ourselves. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this word defile. I really can't stand this word. I just think it's it's kind of lost all meaning and all value as a signpost toward towards a deeper understanding. Defile. I mean, I, I think it just it just it it just it's it's a provocative word that that just incites horrible reactions. I mean, to think of these men who do honor killings, for example. You know, they, they, they're so provoked by the defilement of their daughter or their wife or, or, you know, whoever it is that's dishonored the family that they fly into this rage and they commit murder. So I think defile, I'm not sure how effective defile is as a, as a true signpost that points towards a deeper understanding. The way we use it today anyways. I mean, for me, it, it implies something completely irreversible. You know, you're stained forever. You can never be washed clean. You've been defiled beyond belief and you're going to spend the balance of your life in, in a, in sackcloth and ashes on your knees moaning. I don't think that's the point Jesus was trying to make. Maybe he was. Maybe he was trying to make that point because it, it would be provocative to people like the Pharisees. So maybe he was using it that way. But for me, that's not really the the underlying value of this passage that we're talking about. That's not really the truth to be found in this passage. You know, I think to fur- further illustrate the point I'm trying to make, think back to Brother Jones. There with this powder blue shirt. I mean, if he would say to the to the nitpicker, 
Hey, you're defiling yourself with your horrible motives. I mean, we, we would find that an awkward word. You know, from our perspective, it, it doesn't really describe what Brother Jones is really trying to convey to this nitpicker. I mean, what, he, what he's really trying to say to the nitpicker is, you know, you're, you're not really helping yourself by, by having all these ulterior motives. Now, sometimes this is hard to talk about in our, in our world of literalism and fundamentalism. You know, when we start saying that being defiled isn't really being defiled, people get really upset about that. You know, and if you start saying the word defiled has has lost its meaning in, in a modern context, people say things like, well, no, you're just becoming a moral relativist. You know, if Jesus said something defiled you in the New Testament, then it defiles you, and you'll be defiled. And I just don't, I don't think that that's a helpful way of approaching life or truth. And I, I certainly don't think that that's the lesson Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees. I don't think he's trying to say to them, you know, all these, all these terrible thoughts you have, all these terrible motives you have, all these things that are bubbling up out of you, they're irreversibly staining you. So put on your sackcloth, cover yourself with ashes, get down on your knees, moan and groan for years and years. You have atonement to be, to make. You have been defiled. You know, maybe the reason the word has evolved into what it has become, the way the way we think of it now, is partly because of the way our society works. I mean, just think of modern culture. Think of the loss of reputation, for example. I mean, if you lose your reputation, even if even if that loss of reputation is due to to gossip or false accusations, I mean, it's pretty hard to recover. You know, think of this guy, Richard Jewell, who was accused of the Atlanta bombings during the Atlantic Olympics. I know I'm, da- I'm dating myself a little bit here, but there was a security guard who was falsely accused of planting a bomb at the Atlantic Olympics. You know, people to this day, at least some people to this day, think he did it. And he was totally exonerated. And then you think about our, about the exam culture in our education system. You know, every mistake you, you make on an exam is a permanent mark. Your grades are a permanent record. So our educational system, every every opportunity for growth, every learning experience you've ever had in our educational system is is recorded as a as a permanent blemish. You know, for those living in the in the digital world, every every bad photograph you post of yourself doing something stupid at, at some party you shouldn't have been at, that's that's there forever. You you can't expunge it. So these sort of things maybe partially explain why we react to the word defiled today the way we do. But I think if we dig a little bit deeper, we're going to find a more profound truth, a more fundamental truth, masked by the word defile. So let's throw out that word for just a second, and let's think about Brother Jones again. You know, what Brother Jones is really trying to say to the nitpicker is, look, this this horrible attitude of yours, this, this desire to manipulate me and to this ego-driven need for hierarchy that you have, and this this really isn't helping you. You know, I think that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's saying, you, you know, your desire for control, your competitive impulses, your your feelings of being threatened by by me and all these publicans sitting around eating food with unwashed hands. None of that is really helping you. 
And it's not helping us either, but it certainly isn't helping you. You're being hurt. You're being stopped. You're being stunted because these desires of the ego have completely overwhelmed your, your spirit, completely overwhelmed your soul to the point where I can hardly even recognize you as a, as a child of God anymore. You're, the light within you has been so buried beneath this, this ego, by these ego-driven fantasies, that all the light and all the energy that, that's been given to you by God has been sucked up by your mind, and your mind's taken over. You, you've temporarily lost all consciousness, in the words of Eckhart Tolle. Now I realize we're going a little bit off book here and we're making a few logical leaps here. But sometimes you gotta do that to get to the deeper meaning of something. And there's really no point to reading or discussing any of this if we're not gonna arrive at some deep meaning, some universal truth. It's not just a truth for us as Christians or us as Mormons. It's a universal truth or, or, or it's not a useful truth. Or it's not a truth. Forget about useful or not. I mean, it's just not truth. So I think what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the scribes is, is that, hey, hey guys, you are so out of touch with your inner spirit, with the inner light given to you by God. And you are so, you've been so overwhelmed by your mind and, and by your ego that you've completely lost consciousness. You're completely unaware of what you're doing. You're so clueless that you think you need to storm into the little picnic we're having here, me and me and the publicans and, and, and the harlots. You know, the, the, the complete, completely disenfranchised segment of Jewish society. You're so unconscious and so out of, out of touch with yourself that you feel the need to come in and reprimand us for eating bread with unwashed hands. That's what you think is important. You know, this is not serving you well, Pharisees and scribes. You ought to reevaluate. You know, that's still a powerful sentiment. In my view, it's a, it's a deeper, more powerful truth. You know, when we get rid of this word defile, I think it, it opens everything up. In fact, I'm going to take it one step further. I think if you leave the word defile in there, at least in the way that we understand the word defile, the way that we've just talked about how I understand the word defile, then it makes no sense. I think the, the entire passage is nonsensical and there's no real substantive takeaway. You know, if you leave defile in there, the way I just described defile, at the beginning of the passage, the Pharisees come in and they're being overly legalistic and then Jesus counters by being legalistic in a different way. And he's kind of saying, my legalism trumps your legalism. But, but in the end, instead of you, instead of us being defiled for, because of your legalism, you're going to be defiled because of my legalism. And, and it's this infinite loop and we're kind of stuck inside the mind and in the ego and there's, there's no way to resolve it. But you take defiled out. <laughs> and then Jesus can say, hey, your legalism, first of all, is dumb. And oh, by the way, all this stuff going on inside you, you're not even aware of it. Your motives, your intentions, your lusts, your greed. 
you know, all, all the workings of your ego and your mind, which have completely hijacked your spirit to the point where you're just not conscious. You, you don't even know you're not conscious anymore. And again, you know, we, we, even though I say, oh, it's nonsensical if you leave the word defiled in there. I mean, Jesus may have used the word defiled to, to, to prick them, to stimulate them. Maybe he was doing that. I'll, I'll grant him that much. But the fundamental truth he's talking about is, is, is not, does not involve anyone really being defiled in the sense that we've talked about in the sense that I think we all viscerally understand it in, in a modern context. He's trying to teach, look, there, there's something, there's something inside, there's something going on inside you, some processes that are really hurting you. Please wake up. Wake up. And again, I know, you know, for my literalist and my fundamentalist friends, this is, uh, this is heretical indeed. But I think, you know, the literalists and the fundamentalists have locked themselves into this infinite loop as much as the Pharisees and the scribes have, as much as the nitpicker at church has. And I think what Jesus is trying to say to them and to all of us is that we've got to step, we've got to just step out of the loop. You just got to get out of your mind space, get out of your ego, come back to the light that's deep within you and observe this wacky, illogical, imbalanced loop from afar as an observer, as a watcher and notice it. And, and in the process of casting all this light on it, you'll, you'll notice how unbelievably ridiculous it is. You're not helping yourself, folks. You're defiling yourself <laughs> as much as I hate that word. I think that's what Jesus is really talking about when he talks about what comes out of a man or a woman, a person. Anyways, I've gone on too long. I hope you found something interesting here today. And until next time. Now we are running back to the place you don't know.